Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. I'm recording this episode on Wednesday, August 7th of 2019, and this is probably going to be a pretty interesting episode. We're going to talk a lot about um, Google's new announcement on core algorithm updates. This was super interesting to me and to my team, um, and that sparked a bunch of Twitter controversy amongst SEOs. So I didn't really cover this in newsletter so much. I said I was going to talk about it in podcast. Podcast. So I'll give you my thoughts on what happened with the SEO drama. I can see both sides um, of what happened. So, you know, this should be a pretty interesting discussion. We've got loads of SEO tips in newsletter this week. I'll cover a couple of them briefly, depending on how long I go on about the other things that Google has been doing, uh, because this has been a very, very interesting week in terms of news for SEO. So we'll start off with algorithm updates like we always do. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently from this point on. For the last, gosh, I want to say seven years, <laughs> I've been reporting on pretty much every little tweak that Google does. So every week we go into our analytics and we say, oh, we have a bunch of clients that are seeing changes on this particular day and we can't attribute it to seasonality. And so we think that Google did something with the algorithms there. With this information that Google's given us, and this is not new, but they know, they say, you know, we do these broad core updates every so often. And then pretty much every day we do a tweak of some sort to Google's algorithms. Um, and we're finding that pretty much every week we can find a day. For example, and it's usually like a two to three day period. Um, for example, between July 29th and August 2nd, we had a bunch of clients that saw mostly increases. We had a couple of decreases in that time. And most likely Google made some changes to their algorithm at that time. I'm finding though that we're, it, it, it's, less and less likely that we can find uh, a reason as to what they did. And pretty much every week we're saying, well, it looks like they tweaked how they assess EAT. Um, so we're still going to report on those things when they seem significant enough, and we're still going to keep updating our algorithm update list. If you want to find that, we have a short link to it, uh, mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O. And it's a list of pretty much every date where we feel that Google did something significant. You just might find that uh, not all of the tweaks are in there like we used to now. Um, keep in mind, though, I mean, we're not, we're not uh, doing less work on this respect. We're just going to give you more relevant information as we report on these things. So I spent quite a few hours over the last week just trying to review what happened in July. We saw so many tweaks to the algorithm at that time, more than usual. And it seems to me like I think June 3rd, Google introduced something uh, quite different in how they assess websites. I'm 100% convinced it's mostly about trust, the T and EAT. And then I think that throughout July, they were just continually tweaking this. Um, and so we looked back at how many clients contacted us after each of these tweaks. And it turns out that July, even though we had a number of clients that saw significant changes on particular dates, there really weren't a lot of new clients coming to us saying uh, we were hit specifically in July. We had a lot of people saying, you know, we've been struggling for the last two years or, um, you know, we get a lot of requests uh, for past 
past algorithm updates, people saying, look, we've been down ever since the August 1st, 2018 medic update. Um, we're still getting lots of those. But July itself, I don't think was a specific update. There were certainly days on which uh, Google did things, but nothing terribly specific. But I it brought me back as I'm looking at all of these sites to June 3rd. And we've talked about June 3rd a lot. We have a, a very thorough blog post on what we think happened with the June 3rd update. And most of our predictions, because I wrote this blog post like a week or two after the update had happened, which is not a lot of time to assess sites that have been hit. Um, most of these sites, it was super obvious that uh, Google did something around EAT. And really, trust seems to be one of the biggest components. If you recall, we talked about the Daily Mail seeing drops, and the Daily Mail had all sorts of trust issues. There's actually a whole page in Wikipedia uh, talking about how Wikipedia editors should not trust the information in the Daily Mail. They also had horrible ad experience, which we think contributed to uh, less trust on the site of a part of users. But one of the things that we noticed, and this keeps coming up time and time again, is that there were a number of sites that were hit in June that had very obvious trust issues that we would have picked in our, you know, if we did a review for this site, we would have said, look, Google is going to take issue with this, this, and this on your site. And yet they weren't hit until June 3rd. We saw lots of sites where, you know, they maybe had a slight hit with Medic in August of 2018, uh, but none of the other core updates really, really affected them. And so we were trying to figure out, you know, what changed? Why is Google suddenly saying, oh, your site has EAT issues? I mean, they don't tell you that. Wouldn't that be nice if they could send you an email saying, hey, you need to work on your EAT or we don't trust you because of this. Um, but things that we had identified as EAT issues. And, and some people might be saying, how do we know when a site has EAT issues? When we do our site reviews, we look at the traditional things. And when we look at, we, we crawl the site, we look for technical issues, we look for page speed issues, we look for link issues, we look, you know, all sorts of things that most of us do in our audits. Um, and what we're finding is a lot of these sites that are coming to us seeing massive drops at the date of algorithm updates, they're technically relatively sound. I mean, we can usually find a number of things where we say, oh, you know, the canonicals are off on these pages or, um, you know, stuff that could be significant. Um, but I think it's been a long time since we've had a site come to us and we've been able to fix it by fixing a technical issue. Most of these sites have trust issues. And one of the things that we saw as a recurring theme in sites that were hit, uh, medical sites, I should say, that were hit June 3rd, was this idea that the sites contained information that contradicts scientific consensus. So I have talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about it in more detail now. Um, I think that this is a big trust factor. And my team and I were sitting around just talking about how could Google determine whether a page contradicts scientific consensus. I've talked a lot about this white paper that Google put out in February of 2018, uh, 19, sorry, of this year. And it was uh, all about how Google fights disinformation. And there was information in there that talked about um, how they strive to find pages that uh, don't contradict scientific consensus and that, that that's a sign of quality. Um, and there's actually uh, examples in the quality readers guidelines. So here's, I'm going to read this quote and here 
here is how the quality raters are told to determine whether um, pages are potentially contradicting scientific consensus. Uh, it says, some examples of information that would be found on lowest quality pages include the moon landings were faked, carrots cure cancer, and the U.S. government is controlled by lizard people. <laughs> While some of these topics may seem funny, they have been real world uh, there have been real-world consequences from people believing these kinds of internet conspiracy theories and misinformation. The best part I can take out of that that is relevant to our discussion is carrots cure cancer. I know that seems extreme, and most of you who are listening to this podcast who have a medical website that has seen drops in conjunction with Google algorithm updates, you're not that blatant. You're not saying, you know, this weird, wacky supplement is going to cure every single disease that you could possibly have. And by the way, you can only buy it with us. Um, sites that were that adamantly blatant, they were hit by previous algorithm updates. And going back to this uh, guide on how Google fights disinformation, Information. The guide actually tells us that Google does not go on a page-by-page -page basis um, and, uh, you know, they can't figure out every single fact and say, you know, whether this is a true fact or every single statement that you make, whether it's a true statement or whether it's one that potentially could hurt people. So we were talking as a team and trying to figure out, you know, how could Google decide? And here's something that is a really good tip. And if this is the only part of podcast you ever listen to, I think it would be super, super helpful, is take a look at what you were ranking for prior to an algorithm update. Um, and one of the ways that we love to do this is with SEMrush. If you have the guru plan on SEMrush, you can actually look, and this is not an advertisement for SEMrush, we just use them uh, a lot. Uh, you can actually look historically at rankings. So you can put your site in and you can say, oh, you know, we were hit in June, so let's look back to May and see what keywords we were ranking for at that time. Now, many of you will already have keyword tracking in place, so you don't need that tool. Um, but the point is, and you can do this in uh, Search Console as well, although it's not quite as easy to do, is look for keywords that you were ranking well for. So let's say you were a medical site that was ranking for some essential oil term. Now you're ranking on like page six for this essential oil term. Well, what you can do now is see, uh, look at that page that was ranking and really critically say, is there information in here that could possibly be seen as not in line with scientific consensus? So let's say you're saying essential oils are going to cure uh, some particular skin condition that you have. And this is based on the fact that... Um, you know, this essential oil contains, I don't know, I, I'm not an expert on essential oils, but uh, contains these different herbs. And there was a study done 10 years ago that shows that this one herb potentially could help the health of your skin. But you're ignoring the fact that there were also, you know, hundreds of other studies done that showed that maybe it's not that beneficial or maybe you need it in massive amounts in order to make a difference and those massive amounts could be toxic, um, things like that. And so one of the things that we're seeing, um, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that because I want to finish this, uh, this little tip. So find those things. So let's say, uh, you know, you make up this, let's say lavender, and I know those who deal in essential oils are probably going to laugh at me here in my lack of knowledge. But let's say that lavender helps with some type of um, eczema. 
issue. Uh, and you've quoted that, you've stated that on your pages, uh, trying to sell this product that is going to cure people's eczema with lavender. Well, then what you want to do is do a search for, does lavender help eczema? You're probably going to find that the sites that are ranking number one are the big medical giants. It's going to be WebMD, Healthline, uh, Mayo Clinic, perhaps Wikipedia, even though Wikipedia isn't technically a, a medical site. And then see what they say. So we did this. This is a newsletter. We did this for one of our clients that sells these diet supplements or actually recommends these diet supplements. And we did a search saying, does this diet supplement work? And the first result was from Healthline saying, there have been no studies that show that this diet supplement works. However, some of the ingredients have been extensively studied. That was the featured snippet that Google pulled out. Now, we think it's pretty easy for Google to use natural language processing to test those theories. You know, if you could pull out of your page, ah, here's the potentially controversial part. We are saying that lavender is going to cure eczema or at least help it. And then when you do a search, the sites that Google trust, the, the language, pro, the, the, the words of the language basically say, no, it doesn't help. Well, we think that Google could do this, you know, they can create scores basically saying, and I was actually looking at a patent, which I'm going to get into way too much rambling here, was talking about how Google could use consensus. Now, it was meant more for um, those of you who are local guides. Have you ever been in a place where they say, you know, does this uh, restaurant have, is it wheelchair accessible? Um, and then I usually don't know because I'm not paying attention to the wheelchair ramps. Um, but they have a patent that actually tells you how likely it is that somebody is in line with consensus amongst everybody else. And the people who are more in line with this consensus are treated uh, with more trust. And so if my answers for as a local guide are generally trustworthy, then they will put more trust in my ability to answer more questions as a local guide. Well, I think that that could easily translate to organic search. If your page contains information that is generally against scientific consensus. If they can just pick out one little thing like, oh, the purpose of this page is to say that lavender is going to cure eczema, um, they could very easily say, well, what does our, our knowledge base of sites that we trust say on lavender and eczema? So I see why, I mean, some of you are probably seething right now as I'm saying this, because what if what if there's a cure that's not in line with scientific consensus? So I'm going to get a little bit personal here. Um, some of you don't know that I've struggled with some autoimmune issues, uh, pain issues. And I discovered uh, just randomly, I did Whole30, which is a, an elimination diet, and found out that I am severely allergic to milk protein, um, to dairy protein. And if I cut out dairy protein from my life, I have almost no pain. The moment I have a little bit of dairy, uh, I can barely get out of bed. It's, it's very, very bad. And so this is a, an important thing. But if I was to write, so let's say I connected with my rheumatologist and we wrote this blog post and we did a whole website about how dairy in some people is causing autoimmune disease. It could 
that's going to be, uh, it's not completely against scientific consensus, but most of the research that's out there says that, you know, maybe that's not a thing for most people. Um, and so you can see what I'm getting at is that some of this stuff, just because it's not in line with scientific consensus, doesn't necessarily mean that it is bad. Um, but in most cases, the sites that we're seeing that are seeing drops, it's clearly sites that are um, saying, look, this natural remedy is going to cure this problem or it's going to really help this problem. And here's a little bit of evidence that shows that it could help. You need to show evidence that, you know, like, and I know this goes against what we want to do as we're selling products, but you need to be very showing both sides of the story. So if there is much more evidence that says, well, it's not really that effective, you need to put that on there and you can still say, well, you know, but we have had some users that claim that it works for them. Um, and so if this is the basis of your site, that you're selling products or you're recommending products via affiliate links um, that, uh, you know, are a little bit controversial, we think that Google Google may have a score overall uh, that talks about whether you're going against scientific consensus. So the one final thing I'll say on this, because I sort of alluded to it and then uh, babbled a little bit too much to go uh, uh, down another road, is that many of these sites that were hit in June, on June 3rd, that weren't previously hit had really good indicators of E and A, the expertise and authoritativeness. So they were sites where you could see like this doctor has been quoted in all these different places. Um, and you know, they, so that's the authoritativeness. They've been doing this. They've been a doctor of natural medicine for many, many, many years. There's really no overt trust issues other than Google, I think, got better at determining whether overall the content on sites is in line with scientific consensus. Um, and this is in line with Google's changes that they made to the quality readers guidelines where they actually said in, uh, they changed them in, or at least they gave us the publicly available version in May of this year, um, where they actually changed incident, incidents of EAT in the guidelines to say page quality. So we have some tips in the newsletter uh, for paid users on, you know, things that we think could help if you are one of these sites. Uh, but we're still early in the stages of, of assessing things. Um, what we're doing is we're looking at natural medicine sites that actually weren't hit uh, or that profited after these updates and we're sort of making some comparisons and saying ah but they do this and it's very interesting what we're seeing so some of this we will publish uh, some of this and I know this is going to sound a bit like a sales pitch but if you run one of these sites uh, you can really really benefit from us uh, well hopefully benefit from us looking at your site and giving you ideas on what you could do to show both sides of the story and still sell your products with that said in all honesty I think that some of the sites that were hit are sites that Google does not want to rank. If the entire basis of your site is to sell people on some type of fad diet or some type of product that is kind of sketchy in terms of whether or not it works, it may be challenging to recover. Um, so let's move on because we've talked for a long time on, uh, on this subject. I think it's a very important subject. Let's talk about Google's blog post about core updates. So this was really, really exciting. Um, the blog post told us, and I've talked about this already in this episode, while Google does updates every day, every now and then they do these more noticeable updates. And they say that the point of core updates is to 
um, and I'll quote here, ensure that overall we're delivering on our mission to present relative and authoritative content to searchers. So Google wants to show authoritative content to people. Um, The interesting part that we found in this blog post was, you know, Google has said in the past, oh, if you were hit by a core update, there's really nothing you can do to fix it. Uh, Now they're turning around saying, well, there's nothing you can do to fix. Actually, they said there might not be anything to fix at all. Um, And what they're saying by that is it might be that you didn't drop. It's just that another site got recognized as higher quality. It's certainly a possibility. Um, And the other interesting thing, and then the blog post goes on to like talk about all the things you can do to to recover. So, um, you know, there are certainly things that you can do. Uh, And the the interesting part is that um, they said if you were negatively affected by a core algorithm update, and you made changes that actually would make your site seem higher quality in Google's eyes, you'll likely need to wait until the next broad core update. So not one of these little tweaks, but a big update happens in order to see recovery. And that's in line with our experience as well. When we do have sites that see recovery, uh, you know, they truck along at this, it's, I call it almost an algorithmic ceiling that their traffic just sort of stays. I mean, it can fluctuate up and down a little bit, but sort of stays at this low level. And then an algorithm update happens and over a few days, you see this beautiful spike in traffic, and then we can see that that ceiling is now higher, um, which is what we want to see for uh, sites that um, uh, we've been working with. So there was a whole section in this blog post that was called Get to Know the Quality Rater Guidelines and EAT, and then they linked to a bunch of SEOs who had written content on EAT. We were thrilled to be linked in the list. um, And we were also thrilled that Google linked to us with a keyword as an anchor. Now, uh, one of my team pointed out that that probably wasn't Google's decision. Uh, It was actually the title of our post. Um, So, you know, we want to rank for EAT and SEO. We sort of go back and forth between us and Moz. And there's one other site that ranks. And we'll work on uh, tweaking that because... Organic search through that blog post probably doesn't bring us a lot of business, but it's still kind of cool to rank well for uh, for a term that is pretty popular right now. Um, but let's talk about this controversy. And oh gosh, this blog post was published on Friday, and I actually was not working on Friday afternoon. Um, and I started getting all of these direct messages and texts and emails of uh, people saying, are you okay? And I was like, what is happening? Um, and so People were really taking issue, not with us, but with the fact that Google linked out to SEO companies. Um, so, you know, I mean, it wasn't just us that they linked out to. They linked out to Glenn Gabe and uh, Lily Ray, and there were uh, a couple of others as well, um, who had written really, really good information on EAT. And what some had been saying, and I'm not going to name names on who was upset because all of these people who were upset are people that I respect. And um, I think it's okay to have differing opinions. So this is my podcast. I'm going to give you my opinion on what happened. And maybe I'm biased because I was the person, one of the people that was linked to. Um, It's not wrong to recommend content, right? I mean, Google, they very clearly weren't saying like, if you have problems with core updates, these are the people that you should hire to fix the problem. They were saying, these people wrote good content on EAT, and we want you to pay attention to EAT. Uh, And so they recommended the content. So then one person said, well, they could have no followed the links because those links will help. Now, here's an interesting thing. So far, the link hasn't really made a difference in our rankings. It's made a difference in traffic. We had, uh, and I know some of you are really interested to know this. I mean, our post on EAT tends to get a couple hundred of uh, visitors 
a day. And we had uh, 3,000 on the day that the blog post was uh, published, just to that one post. Um, and some of those converted as well. So uh, in all honesty, um, Google gave us business by giving us this link. And so I can see why other SEOs would be upset at this. On the other hand, that page on EAT represents two years of me doing research, my team doing research. Um, like this is, it took me weeks to write this blog post uh, and honestly years to collect the information for it. This wasn't just like a little, you know, thing. This was a major piece of work uh, that Google linked to. So should they no follow the link? If you look at Google's documentation on no following, and for those of you who are, uh, I'll just take a step back in case some of you are new to SEO or don't understand what no following means. No follow on a link means that Google should not um, crawl that link, should not follow that link uh, as they're crawling the web. And that means that page rank signals would not pass through that. Um, and so essentially what people are saying when they're saying don't follow the link is saying, look, we don't want to, Google should not be passing page rank to the sites of different SEOs. Um, and I can see their point to some extent. However, Google's documentation on no following says there's three reasons why you should no follow. One is if you do not trust the content. Well, very clearly Google trusted the content, otherwise they wouldn't recommend it. Um, two is if it's paid content. And I jokingly said, ah, I, my check to Danny Sullivan must have worked. <laughs> and then I had people on Twitter that thought I was serious. Uh, and no, I did not pay Google for this link. Um, and then three, the number three reason to no follow a link would be for crawl priority. If you have a section of your site that you don't want Google to crawl, there's no point in linking to it with followed links, uh, you know, to, to waste your crawl budget. And that's a whole other discussion. None of those would apply in this scenario. So what ended up happening was that um, Danny Sullivan did get the post modified so that there's a little disclaimer underneath that says, you know, these links, something about these links to SEO companies are not an endorsement of the company itself. I really don't think, uh, I don't know. I don't think that that was necessary. I mean, when we link out uh, in our newsletter, we link out to several people in every single newsletter. And I'm not saying you should go hire that company. That said, I'm not Google. You know, I don't have the power that Google has. So I can see why some people were upset, but I, I, I am totally okay <laughs> with what happened. If it wasn't me that we were linked to. Now, if it was a post on EAT, and they linked to other people and they didn't link to me, I would be upset at that. But let's say Google wrote a blog post about, uh, you know, some PPC stuff, which we don't do, paid search. Um, then, you know, and then they, they linked out to a bunch of different SEOs. I would not have an issue with that. Um, or they linked out to a bunch of paid search consultants that wrote good content on this topic. So um, I think that's all I really want to say about this right now. I'm not one to jump into Twitter drama. In fact, I was laughing uh, at the whole thing. My apologies if that is offensive to, to those of you who were upset about this because I can understand why you're upset. But I think we should just move on. I, there's no deep conspiracy. It's not like I have an in with Google and, you know, they're going to write to me or they're going to link to me all the time. I would love that. Um, but it was just they wanted to get the word out about EAT and they linked to content that wrote uh, that wrote about it. And some of the people that were complaining, not all of them, but some of the people that were complaining, I checked their blogs. They haven't written anything in years. So I don't think, I don't know. 
you know what? Let's just end that discussion here now. I know I wanted to mention it in podcasts, though, because a lot of people were asking about it and people wanted to get caught up in the, uh, the Twitter drama. Um, we'll just go through a few more things because we're at nearly 30 minutes in podcasts now. A uh, couple things to know just today as I'm recording this on August 7th, uh, Google announced that um, uh, there is now um, evergreen rendering in testing tools. So Googlebot used to crawl with an old version of uh, Chromium, Chrome 41. And now they have the most recent uh, um, version, and that means that all of the tools, like the mobile-friendly test, the rich results test, uh, and the URL inspection in Search Console, are now using Evergreen Googlebot. So the way I understand it is that if you're using fancy stuff like JavaScript, um, sometimes in the past, old versions, not all JavaScript, but some versions of uh, some fancy things you can do would not be recognized, would not be crawlable by Google. And now it should be. So you can test that in uh, search console using the URL inspection uh, tool. Um, let's see here. There was uh, another Google blog post that came out at the same time as the one on core updates. And so I think this got not as much attention as it should have. Uh, Google uh, published a blog post saying that they now have something called fresh featured snippets. So featured snippets, as most of you are aware, are the little box that can appear where, um, you know, if you type a query and immediately your answer is in a box, some of those are answer boxes if they're definitions, but if they're pulled from another website, uh, that's a featured snippet. And there's debate as to whether it's good to win a featured snippet. I think it always is because if you don't, I mean, the, the debate is if you have the featured snippet, people may just get their answer from the Google results and not actually have to go to your website. But if Google is not putting you in that featured snippet, they're going to put somebody else there. So you might as well win it. Um, and that's my opinion. So now Google is trying to prioritize fresh content and trying to identify when fresh content should be used. And uh, the example that they used was Listeria Recall, which is kind of funny because they wouldn't recall the listeria. They would recall food because listeria was found in it. Um, but still, the whole point is people would be searching for this type of thing. And so they said in the past, the featured snippet would actually show some evergreen content that was written years ago about what a listeria recall would be about. And um, now what they'll do is uh, try to show information on the most recent recall involving listeria. And so one of the things that we are excited to see is how people can take advantage of these fresh featured snippets. And some very basic stuff, uh, one thing to do would be to make sure that all of your pages have a last updated date on it. And also keep in mind, whenever you're writing content and you want to win a featured snippet, you should be writing a paragraph that is very that Google would be happy to use for the featured snippet. And we would recommend adding the date in there. So you can say, on August 7th, 2019, a recall was announced for blah, blah, blah. Um, and try to make that one paragraph concise enough that you could uh, use it or Google could use it in a featured snippet. I'm not uh, going to go through all of the tips, the SEO tips that we have. You're going to have to go to newsletter for that. Uh, we have a really good, uh, the latest Help Hangout was so good. I have to say, we're not going to be publishing the Help Hangout notes uh, on a weekly basis. It didn't get a whole lot of traction. I know some of you probably found it useful, uh, but it took my team a heck of a long time. So we still review every single one and we'll put the most important or the most interesting tips in newsletter each week for you. Um, this week we have, uh, let's see, would a federal 
medical center benefit from adding doctor author bios, uh, author bios. Um, we have information on whether you, if you have pages that have just sections of duplicate content, what, how Google deals with that. Um, somebody asked John Mueller whether alt text can be picked up by Google for FAQ content. And then we also have information on hidden text and whether it's always against Google's guidelines. So the answers to those are super, super interesting. I did want to talk about uh, this tweet. Somebody uh, tweeted at me. Noah Lerner tweeted at me uh, with a tweet from John Morabito. My apologies if I've mispronounced your name, John. Uh, and John published this thing on Twitter saying uh, th this disavow experiment, which was quite interesting. Um, and so what he said was they disavowed a bunch of garbage links. I'm assuming that means sort of spammy links pointing to one particular page. And like the next day, the page saw a massive increase in traffic or a significant increase in traffic. So first of all, thank you for putting that on Twitter. Um, I always want to be sure that when somebody posts, posts a study and I say, ah, but what about this? I'm still very thankful that you posted this information. I think we can learn a lot from it. Um, I'm going to take issue with a couple of things, though, so we'll see. It certainly could be that uh, the disavow was filed, and for some reason those links were Im impeding the, site, uh, the page's ability to rank, and after the disavow was filed, they saw improvements. In our experience, it's rarely that fast. Um, it usually takes one to two months for us to start seeing an uplift if we're going to see that. Uh, and in uh, I put an example in newsletter of this very dramatic case where all we did was disavow, and then two months later we saw this increase, and it just keeps happening, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. So I think that um, unnatural links were holding that site back. Uh, I've yet to see a case where it was almost dramatically instant. The other issue that I have with this is that they were disavowing garbage links, um, you know, so and, and I haven't seen the links. So perhaps garbage links were self-made SEO spam. And by self-made, I mean you wrote a bunch of articles, you like uh, got them published in all sorts of places that no human being ever reads, and they had keyword anchored links pointing back to your own site. That's usually the type of link that we're disavowing, um, along with you know self-made directory links that are only there for the purpose of SEO. Um, I hope to actually, one of the things I want to put out is a little quiz to help you figure out whether um, you have the types of links that you could benefit from disavowing. Um, so I think there may have been something else at play in this situation, but I'm not completely close to the idea that uh, disavowing a bunch of spam links actually helped this site. So um, if you want to read more about that, we've got stuff in a newsletter. And um, yeah, I think that's that would be, it's really interesting to follow these things. So that is, like I said, one of the things that's on my list of, uh, I want to look back at all of the sites that we've disavowed for and in write a really thoroughly honest post. I'm going to show you some that we disavowed for that did not see improvements and explain why that happened. Um, and then also show you some examples of sites that did see improvements after disavowing. Um, if you are not sure whether you need to disavow your links, my team and I do offer something called a link overview. Uh, costs, I think it's around $500. Um, and what we do is uh, spend several hours looking at your link profile. It's not a full link audit, um, but giving our opinion as to whether or not these links are holding your site back. And if you do need to go on to a full link audit, then uh, you get most of that, or, or maybe half of that, $500 credited onto a full link 
got it. Um, so our goal, and a good number of these that we do, our conclusion is, hey, you're doing a great job at disavowing. I don't think you need our services. Uh, and it's it's good for a lot of these clients to or people to, to figure out, you know, are links holding you back? We don't claim to know absolutely everything, but I've been doing this for a very long time, and links are my main area of expertise, or at least they were for um, the first several years of, of my career. I'm going to end this episode of podcast actually with a question on links. And it's kind of funny because is, this is actually from a client of ours who I'm not sure why uh, he asked via the Q&A for if you want to ask a question, it's in newsletter. We have uh, a section where you can uh, go to a Google form and submit a question. But um, we've responded to this client uh, before now, but I wanted to still ask his question uh, because I think some of you can benefit from the answer. He says, we had a manual action taken care of taken care of by you guys and was very happy with the results. I have noticed new spammy links to my site. When should I submit another disavow file and how long should I wait between submitting a new disavow file? So there's a lot of things in this question to unpack. And um, I'm I hopefully... <laughs> If this client is listening, thank you for submitting this in Q&A. And I'm going to mention a few things uh, for the rest of our, our listeners because I think this could really help a lot of people. So what this client uh, ended up doing was they got um, a report from one of the tools. Well, I'll go ahead and say it because I've mentioned earlier in this podcast that we're a big fan of SEMrush, but I am not a huge fan of SEMrush's toxic link report. Um, and I find that often the links, they send this email that says, your risk of penalty is increasing. We've noticed all these spammy links. Well, every site gets spammy links. If you're a decent site, you have all these wallpaper sites and all these weird Russian sites linking. Like it happens to pretty much every successful site. Uh, and then, um, so what this client ended up doing is downloading this uh, list from SEMrush that said, look, you need to disavow these. And then they uploaded this list to the disavow tool. Now, what some of you don't know is that when you upload to the disavow tool, you're overwriting your previous disavow file. So that we were not happy with. Um, the reason being is that I've had clients in the past that we did all this work to remove a manual action. And then the client, I, I think often what happens is a new SEO company comes in and says, uh, oh, you, that was too aggressive a disavow. Let's get rid of a lot of these links and refile it. Um, and sometimes what happens is Google will turn right around and say, ah, we'll give you another manual action. And when that happens, that second manual action is really hard to get rid of. They will not remove it uh, unless you do several attempts and you're very, very aggressive. Um, so you do not want to try to trick Google by removing your disavow file. I know this particular client was not trying to trick Google. They were trying to add to their disavow file. So if you legitimately want to add to your disavow file, you have to download your file from Google. It comes in the form of a CSV. You have to open it up and then convert it to a text file and then append the text file and then make that new file uploaded to uh, the disavow tool. It's a really not clear process, and there's a reason why you can't access the disavow tool through um, Search Console. You have to actually find it separate. You have to do a search for the disavow tool because Google doesn't want people to potentially be doing harm to their sites. So let's say in this question, 
there actually were legitimate links that wanted to be added to the disavow file. The question was, when should I submit another one? There's really no time limit. If you notice uh, some links that you feel you should disavow um, and you're very confident in that, then you could file a new disavow every day if you want to. It's not like that's going to trigger something on Google's side that says, oh, these guys must be spammers, you know. Um, personally, we do maybe every month or so. Um, for really, really serious cases where these old unnatural links keep popping up. And then we often recommend going to quarterly uh, disavows or at least just keeping an eye on things on a monthly basis and disavowing every now and then when things get kind of out of hand. Um, although really, if you're not currently building unnatural links, you should only have to be doing this monthly stuff for a short period of time. Uh, and then we find things tend to, to calm down. Um, so I think that answers that question, and I know there are a lot of questions on disavowing. I wrote a post several years ago on the Moz blog on everything you need to use about using the dis or need to know about using the disavow tool, and it's still pretty applicable today. So I would recommend reading that. Um, we also have a blog post. Uh, if you Google Marie Haynes disavow 2019, I wrote a blog post about our current thoughts on disavowing, and like I said. We hope to soon have a blog post out on our experiences with using the disavow tool recently. I think most sites do not need to use it, but if you have a history of hiring SEO companies to build links for you, you probably would benefit from using it. So, and I know that probably upset a lot of people. Um, there are some SEO companies that can build fantastic links. Uh, build is probably not the best word there. It can earn fantastic links. Uh, but if you've been building them via article marketing, um, you know, maybe you need to uh, have your links looked at. So, that was a long podcast episode. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate that you spend your time with me. And um, we're going to be still cracking away at how to figure out what Google's doing with these updates. Um, and I hopefully we'll have even more information for you soon on uh, what's happening in terms of trust and how Google could be measuring trust with their algorithms. So thanks for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.